This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler, Ryan Shumpert, and Jack Foster. Alright ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Instant Reaction Show. We are here in Bryant-Denny Stadium reacting to Alabama's 34-20 win over Tennessee right here on Saturday. My name is Rick Butler. To my right, that's Ryan Shumpert. To my left, that's Jack Foster. Gentlemen, let's get right into it. In a lot of ways, a tale of two halves. Yeah, absolutely a tale of two halves. I mean, Tennessee goes into the break up 20-7. They were up 13-0 and had completely dominated after the first quarter. Felt like they could have been up 21-0. And, you know, that's something you go back to, those two stalled drives there inside the 10. But ultimately, story of this game is Tennessee came out so flat in the second half, getting outscored 27-0 in the second half to Alabama. In the third quarter, Alabama outscored them 17-0. As you said, a tale of two halves. And it just all the flaws showed in the second half for Tennessee, and everything came crumbling down. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just the most radical of tale of two halves. I mean, everything about the game was just completely different. Tennessee moved the ball really well in the first half. Not great on the ground, but serviceable on the ground. I think probably Joe Milton's best half of the season, especially capped off by the touchdown pass during McCallan Castles to end the half. Then um, in the second half, Tennessee just found no sort of offensive rhythm. Uh, Tennessee's defense, you know, Alabama could hardly move the ball in the first half. Uh, Tennessee put up very little resistance, uh, at least until Alabama was kind of running out the clock in his last two drives in the fourth quarter. So two completely different halves uh, and uh, a blown opportunity for sure by Tennessee. Yeah, it was. You know, I, I felt like Tennessee really was playing with a lot of confidence there in the first half. They were playing yeah. fearless. They, they were playing like they didn't really care that they were playing Alabama and Tuscaloosa. They are just playing good, solid football. And then you guys are right, everything that you've alluded to, it, it, just a, a derailment uh, coming out of the second half. And Alabama played better. They, they played more active. They just, they all, all around dominated Tennessee in the second half of play. Yeah, and it really got started off, you know, in such a major way that second half. Obviously, the two-play 75-yard drive, big Jace McClellan run, then 46-yard bomb to Isaiah Bond. And then the next, you know, play, the kickoff is the most confusing play of the night because, and Ryan probably can, you know, talk about this better than I can. I'm still struggling to fully comprehend it, but apparently, some you know, someone I think D. Williams called for a fair catch, and then Cam Selden returned it, and that's a penalty. So it went back to the 40-yard line. Tennessee's backed up, goes three and out quickly. Alabama gets the ball back, and it just spiraled from there. I'm not sure how much more help I'll be. I don't think it was D. Williams. I know that's who CBS was showing. The was Squirrel White. That's another name I saw. The or the official when he announced it over the broadcast said 22, which would be either Jack Jancic or Jeremiah Tealander, and then Hypo in his post game press conference said someone on the front line, um, which would kind of indicate. I don't. I would have to go look at the Tennessee's kick return uh, unit to see if, which one of those guys that would be or what exactly happened, but. I don't know. It's a very, very peculiar situation. I didn't even really know that rule. And, yeah. I mean, even, you know, why would anybody on the front line ever be signaling for a fair yeah, catch anyway? They, I guess they're, what probably happened is an arm went in the air and the officials called it a fair catch when the player wasn't intentionally doing so because I don't understand why anybody on the front line, as you said, would ever call for a fair catch. It, it sounds like we might have two of these today because Iowa, you know, turned a punt. To win right, in the but fourth at least quarter. we know who they're calling, right? Yes. Because they called it on the punt return. Yes, but he didn't call it for fair catch. Right. Yeah. But we're still... <laughs> we don't even know who did it. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, it, it really was a wild situation. Guys, I, I want to kind of stay on some of the deficiencies of Tennessee before we move into just kind of any positive takeaways at the end. But one of the plays, and 
Uh, I say plays plural because they were almost the exact same. The plays that have really stuck in my head since the end of the game, through the press conference, through this podcast right here, were the fourth down plays. Yeah. Right. Both down. Both times. Fourth and short. Uh, I, I think both of them were pretty wild for their own different reasons. Ryan, what did you think about just kind of where that whole situation landed? You're right. I mean, they're, they're kind of bad for different reasons. And the first one I thought was just really, really stupid. Uh, I mean, Tennessee goes for it on their own 35-yard line in a, a defensive football game. And obviously the consequence of that, and I didn't think the play call was, you know, bad by any means. I mean, you're, Milton had to run the ball effectively. You're trying to use an extra blocker in the run game, not go right up the middle at him. Obviously doesn't work. That one doesn't really come back to bite him. Jalen Nicole gets the interception uh, on a nice Danico Slaughter deflection a couple plays later. The one in the second half, I don't think the decision was necessarily as outright bad. I mean, it was risky for sure. Mm. Um, and, and again, you, you wonder, Jackson Ross punted the ball well. You wonder if just go make Alabama drive down the length of the field. Certainly at that point it, it was clear, or at that point in the second half, Tennessee's defense had not been playing as well. So uh, I think it was more understandable to – the momentum was slipping from Tennessee at that yeah. point. And, and it's, it's, fourth, yeah. it's fourth and one. You're at around midfield. You're not just handing Alabama points by going for it. Um, so I thought the decision made more sense to play call, to bring everybody in tight and run Dylan Sampson, who's your smallest running back up the middle. That didn't, that one didn't, that's the part. Hey, and not to mention, to on top of that as well, I believe maybe one play or two plays maximum before Gerald Mincy goes down with, with some sort of injury, right? So Dane Davis has to come in and play that right, right tackle position. And again, it's where Tennessee ran the ball, and it just didn't feel like it was the most efficient play they could have run by by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I don't know the playbook, and I'm not calling plays, never have, but it just seems it seems out of efficiency to run it behind a guy who just came into the game. You're already deficient a little bit on that side of the line, and then to what Ryan's credit right there, you're running with Dylan Sampson. I'm pretty sure it's Dallas Turner's side, too. It made no sense to use your smallest back, as you said, to Dave Davis' side. And what is the, with the... Just absolute neglection of, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but why don't they go under center on fourth and short? I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, Joe I Bill, really don't get the it. The quarterback sneak especially. I'm not as much as a diehard. You can't, you just got it. It's so much better to run the ball from under center than it is from shotgun on these situations. Maybe there is. I never bought that as much. But the refusal, I guess, to run quarterback yeah. sneaks, which Tennessee has done uh, all season, especially in that situation where you brought it in tight. Um, you would you would think, and I don't know. Maybe a lot of times when Tennessee brings it in tight like that, they like to get quick stuff out out to the boundary, whether that be kind of a toss play or running uh, the quarterback off the edge or throwing it quick into the flat. So maybe they would they thought they were you know in some way going to catch Alabama off guard by running it up the middle by coming in tight. Um, but you know, I, again, I don't know. That doesn't seem like great logic if that is the case. And maybe Tennessee still loses the game if they punt. But last thing I'll say is I think that play lost in the game, not getting that fourth and one. And continued to put all the momentum on Bama's side. Gave them a short field. They had been playing well offensively. Come out of the second half. Had scored 10 points like that. And then you give them the ball away like that. That was just so deflating. Yeah. I think that was the moment the game fully went into Bama's favor. Yeah, and, you know, you, you talk about the snap of the fingers moment right there. And I felt like that was also just the 75-play drive coming out of halftime. And that was... I felt like that took a lot of the wind out of the sails for Tennessee just because of the way that they were able to do it, the way that they were able to get that run and then split the safeties over the top and get that long touchdown pass. You just kind of felt like things were struggling to continue to stay on the rails after that. I'll ask you both a question. You can answer one, you can answer both, you can combine them, whatever you want, but how did Tennessee lose this game and where did Tennessee lose this game? 
I don't think you can say that. I mean, it, well, they lost it in the second half. I yeah. mean, I don't think there's really one thing you can pinpoint on it. Sure. But, uh, I mean, I guess I'll I'll just go the line of scrimmage play. I didn't think Tennessee dominated the line of scrimmage play in the first half, but probably overall had an advantage. Uh, Alabama, I'll pull up the numbers in the second half, the official numbers. But Alabama ran for something like 20 yards in the first half and 135 in the second. Tennessee, I thought, got a lot better pressure um, in, in the second in the first half than they did the second half. I, as Josh Joseph came free for that one sack on third down. Besides that, it didn't feel like Tennessee really made Milrow uncomfortable at all. On the other side, again, it, it wasn't like Tennessee dominated the offense line of scrimmage in the first half, but Milton consistently had you know pretty good time to throw. He did a good job of extending some plays too, um, and, and they never ran the ball great in this game, but they, they ran it a lot more efficiently in the first half and the second half. So, you know, that's probably an over – or just the easy thing to go to because yeah. I mean, the, the half – the two halves were so different, but it kind of goes back to what I say a lot. The football's quarterback play and line of scrimmage play, and the line of scrimmage, uh, I thought, really flipped at halftime. Yeah, it was just the lack of, you know, intensity on defense, I guess, in the second half. As Ryan said, it didn't feel like they were getting after Milro near as much in the second half as they were in the first half. thought they did a pretty good job in the first half, and I still go back to those two drives that ended in three when they were inside the 10. If Tennessee goes up 21-0, to I think they win the game. I mean, sure, what happened in the second half could have still happened, and Alabama still would have won the game if all that goes down. But just with Tennessee going up 21-0, to I think it changes Alabama's game plan that much more, and they're in the complete driver's seat all the way through. Yeah, probably. You know, it's, it's – if they get the, the second touchdown, it just it's just hard to think of how everything in the game might have changed. I mean, they get in the red zone the third time because they get a strip sack, and Alabama's probably calling plays differently in that situation. So I, I agree with your point. Uh, but it does just kind of change the dynamic of the game. And you're right, it's an easy thing to point back to after the fact because it would have made such a big difference. But uh, at the same time, Tennessee's not a great red zone offense team and still missed opportunities. Uh, but it, it's not like, you know, what, in the first half, Tennessee was two field goals and a touchdown, 13 points on three red zone trips. Obviously, that's not great, uh, but it's not like that's terrible it's a lot better than what Tennessee was last week yeah and I'm not gonna say Tennessee gave up or anything like that but I felt as the second half progressed Alabama just got better in every facet of offense as the half continued yeah running the ball especially I mean Jace McClellan was eating him up there at the end Milrow was able to use his legs a little bit there in the second half as it continued the receivers had a great second half it just felt like Tennessee's defense went downhill pretty quick to start the second half and continued on that trend nothing bounced back for Tennessee after things went wrong and that's a trend we've seen on the road yeah, I mean, it's so many similarities in the third quarter of this game and the Florida game, the second quarter of the Florida game, where it's Tennessee on the road. Once things started to go bad, they haven't been able to really stop the bleeding at all. And uh, probably less self-inflicted wounds in this game than they had against Florida um, when you consider the long long touchdown that uh, had it. And Wesley Walker had really bad missed tackles on the interception and set right. uh, Florida up easy to score a touchdown. But... In the same way, it was it was more of a, a slow a slow death, slow. you know, slow bleeding out yeah. uh, for Tennessee in the third quarter and second half, and uh, they just you know again really never recovered, never did anything to to uh, thwart Alabama's momentum. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, you guys have have hit a lot of points right, you know, here so far. We, we've talked a lot about the second half of play and just kind of Tennessee's downfall or, or, or collapse in the second half. What else stands out to you about this game? Just kind of anything else? Yeah, I mean. Tennessee couldn't run the ball that well. I know they did okay in the first half, but Joe Milton was their leading rusher yeah. with, really, he had over 70 yards. That last sack 
hurt his numbers a little bit, but he had a really good day running the football, and that was probably the biggest positive here, there in the second half was Joe Milton's ability to continue run the football at a high level. But outside of that, definitely Jalen Wright had his worst game of the season. They were not able to effectively run the ball against this Alabama front like I thought they were going to be able to. Long run for Jalen Wright, five yards. Long run for Jabari Small, six. Uh, Dylan Sampson had a 12-yard run. But none of those guys really were able to get it going at much at all. Um, certainly not. You know, they haven't been getting a bunch of huge plays in the run game, but they've been so good at getting those 10 to 20 yard runs. And they really had none of those in this game. And uh, I think, you know, running the football is not necessarily something you think of as being a lot harder on the road, but I think in, in some ways it can be. And I, I think you you saw that some, and it just felt like the limitations in Tennessee's pass game in the second half, the limitations in Tennessee's pass game showed up in the second half when they fell behind and they were going to have to be pass heavy. Um, and they could never get the run game going to kind of help maintain some sort of some semblance of balance. Um, it, it felt like Tennessee just kind of ran out of things they could do, ran out of yeah unique I mean, offensive pass did. plays We've, and schemes to go to. We've talked about this a couple times with this offense. It's not built to mount a comeback and to no. get into a track meet. It's not built to be explosive and score in a – you know, snap of the fingers. It just—it's not like that. So the fact that they fell behind like that makes it really tough with how their game plan is with Joe Milton. Right yeah, now. and in a lot of the ways, I think that's kind of what contributes to just all the second half woes combined is that Tennessee got blitzed coming out of the gate. Right? Yeah. It, it felt like it felt like it was just so quick. They scored that touchdown. Then they come back. They get a field goal. Then Alabama comes back. They score another touchdown. And uh, again, all of that just felt like it happened in the blink of an eye. I wonder what it was like down there on the field. Some of the players, you know, talking about, you know, hey, we're just trying to keep the energy, trying to keep each other up. But that's got to be tough. Yeah, and it was a mixed bag from the players tonight. I mean, I think three of the four talked about how energy was still really high coming out of the second half. They thought they still played well, but just weren't playing at a high enough level. Whereas Elijah Herring said, hey, it felt like we already had the game won as a defensive unit. Yeah. And they kind of slept a lot to start. So. You know, it's tough to really know the ins and outs of what went on, but the product on the field wasn't near as good. Well, 131 yards for Alabama's offense in the second or in the first half, and you know, 75 and two plays to start the second half. It was not that you necessarily would have predicted it to be as lopsided, whatever it was, 27 nothing in the second half. But it was clear from the jump of the third quarter, from the first 10 seconds, that Tennessee was going to be the very best in for a tight game, and uh, they just. Again, the, the defense, I think, was probably maybe more confusing or surprising to me. I get I think I said this uh, to Ben McKee at halftime. You know, Tennessee's offense felt like it had played a little bit above its head in the first half. Uh, I, yeah. I thought the vibe from the 2020 and Georgia game, which obviously proved completely true, uh, I said, you know, the vibes of the 2020 Georgia game were there. You have a quarterback, Jared Garantano, in that game, Joe Milton, that felt like he played completely above his head. A lot of things went right for Tennessee. Uh, and I said, you know, I think this will be a close game because of that. But... I thought it would be a close game because I thought Tennessee's defense would continue to play well, and it would be hard for Alabama just to blitz Tennessee. And obviously that's really exactly what happened. Tennessee had two kind of good holds to field goals, and obviously it was the strip sack that ended up putting them away. Uh, but it, it was, to me, more surprising that things for Tennessee's defense against Alabama's offense just completely flipped in the second half. It, it wasn't, to me, as shocking that Tennessee's offense wasn't able to recreate success in the first half. Yeah, and, and you know you make a lot of great, great points there. It, it, it's it was really impressive the way that the offense was playing. And again, it, to me, it just looked like they they didn't have fear of the moment. They didn't have fear of the team. They didn't have fear of where they were playing. 
then just things started to fall apart a little bit. Anything else on, on some of the struggles that Tennessee had, maybe maybe flipping into some of the positives that Tennessee had, at least in the first half of this game? Yeah, I don't think there's much to talk about positives. I mean, obviously there were things that went well for Tennessee in the first half, but you have a, a golden opportunity to win a game in Tuscaloosa and you blow it like that. There's not a ton of positives to take away. I think the one thing I would say, even with Tennessee you know, crumbling in the second half, uh, we talked so much all week, and, and for a good reason about the crowd noise and the pre-snap penalties, Tennessee had two of them. They did kind of come at, I guess, a bad time because they drowned Tennessee when they were in the red zone trying to cut the deficit to seven there late. Uh, but for the most part, I thought Tennessee did a good job of handling the crowd noise. I don't think the crowd noise. Sorry. I don't think the crowd noise is what uh, cost Tennessee or was a big reason why Tennessee didn't have success offensively. We had someone trying to join our podcast there. I know. She wanted all the They party. wanted to join in. Here's Everybody my- wants a, a press pass. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> does. Here's my final point. Yep. When it's 27 to 20 after Bama's long drive, and Tennessee had the ball with eight minutes left, all three timeouts, I, I just felt there was no way Tennessee was going to win the game. And that is so indicative of how this team has played when they fall behind, especially on the road. When it's 27 to 20 after that long drive, once they kicked a field goal, like man, I'm pretty sure, yeah, it feels over right now. And then the icing on the cake was, of course, the strip sack return for a score. So that that just. You know, that attitude I had in that moment, I guess, sums up my feelings. And I'd agree with you. Yeah, I mean, that's 100% right. And kind of the same thought I had, you know, in a different way was, but it shows the exact same thing was like, all right, if Tennessee does score, you know, when they're down seven, they score a touchdown, you got to go for two. You're not the better team. Yeah. You need to get this down to one play and try to decide the game that way, which, sure. again, I didn't, maybe not have it quite out. Tennessee has no chance, but you didn't feel like you had any confidence in Tennessee. And, Anytime you feel like that go for two to win situation is a definitive, you got to go for two, that's usually a sign that you're being you know, vastly outplayed at that point in the game. Tennessee passes for 271 yards. Alabama passes for 220. Alabama rushes for 138. Tennessee rushes for 133. Man, it was a, it was a terrible second half for Tennessee. They get outscored 27 to nothing in the in the the second two quarters of play. Excuse me, in the final two quarters of play, and that's where we sit now. Tennessee's gonna have a lot to work on this week. You got to travel to Kentucky. It's gonna be a night game. It's gonna be another challenge. It's gonna be another hostile environment. Uh, but they're gonna have to really go back to the go back to the drawing board and figure out some of these 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 deficiencies. Certainly, and it's you know kind of one of those classic coach speak uh, lines, or maybe even it's media speak at this point too, where can't let one loss turn into a second loss. Uh, just by yourself, and we talked about Tennessee not responding well to adversity this season, especially on the road. Well, they got to go on the road, and you know it was a different game, different week, but respond to the adversity this week. Um, you know Tennessee's goals of winning the SEC East, you know those are all but dead. But you know those were all but dead when they lost to Florida. So there's still uh, a lot to, to play for from a respectability standpoint for this team, and. Uh, but that changes if you lose Kentucky next week. It feels like things can really crater. So Does. big game next week. Tennessee's got to be able to come out with a uh, you know, high level of intensity and put this one in the rear view. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more later in the week. Yeah, we will. And, you know, just final thing for me, final, final thing is at least we see, saw it. At least we saw Tennessee's passing offense be able to string together some drives and have momentum and be able to execute at a high level. We saw it. We haven't seen that in a long time. So we know that Joe Milton and these receivers are capable of having a good game. Squirrel White, I thought, was so good tonight in multiple different areas. So at least we saw it. That's the big positive. I yeah, because he game. couldn't even really say that after the Florida game. Right. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, no, 100%. All season it felt like. Yeah, I mean, the two so things, I guess if you're talking like the, you, Ricky says the thing about the positives, the positives in the first half are maybe the different things in the offense that helped it click. 
feel like they hit that comeback route a lot more. I mean, that's kind of been a staple the last two years. It feels like they've thrown it a lot less this year. Yeah, you were saying that during the game. Which doesn't make a ton of sense because of Milton's inability to throw the ball over, or struggles, I should say, throwing the ball over in the middle. Uh, and then, I, again, obviously a lot of it was design runs for Milton, uh, but I thought he did a really good job on a couple plays too of just having good pocket presence, knowing when to get out of the pocket, and, and making not like massive plays, but making some good things happen uh, with his legs. I think that was kind of what you saw better from Tennessee's offense in the first half that you haven't seen most of the season. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to wrap up the RTI Press Pass podcast today. Of course, we'll be back in the studio this week to break down this game, to preview the Kentucky game. You can head over to the Rocky Top Insider YouTube account to go find all the post-game press conferences from Josh Heupel and four of the Tennessee players, including quarterback Joe Milton III. But otherwise, we're going to get out of here. We're going to continue to work on this post-game work that you can find over on RockyTopInsider.com. This is Ryan Schumpert. That's Jack Foster. I'm Rick Butler. Thanks for listening to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass. Alabama defeats Tennessee 34-20.